Hey, welcome today. I'm glad that you're here, and uh, it's good to be back. Let me say welcome to everybody that's joining us from Urbana today, and everybody that's joining us online. It's, uh, it's amazing. Many of us made it here today, but in our outlying areas, it's been pretty icy, pretty dangerous. A lot of our people have stayed home, and uh, just appreciate you coming, and appreciate uh, those of you who jumped on Facebook Live today. Hey, well, I've been out. Uh, I've learned a few things about myself, and uh, I, I want to share something with you today. Is that okay? Okay, okay. I've realized that I get frustrated when I go to a sports bar or a restaurant and I seem to sit at the table that wobbles. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm a wobbler. I have a cosmic magnetic experience that if I show up at a restaurant, when I sit down at a table, it wobbles. I tried this out here. I found a table that wobbles. I'm just going to tell you that we have wobbling tables even at our church. And I began to think about this a little bit about how this maybe applies and, you know, because every moment for a pastor is a preaching moment, you know. So I'm thinking about this. Why is my life this way? What does this mean? And I've been thinking about all the things that we've been talking about in this best blank ever and thinking about what are the things we need to change? What are the things we need to fix? And so I was sitting with a friend of mine uh, who happens to oversee a, a local bagel shop in town. And he was sitting there one moment and there was a wobbling table. And uh, he says, well, give me a second. And he gets down and he begins to unscrew the leg to make it stable. Okay, there's little feet underneath and you can, you can get down and do that. Or my favorite is when you take the napkin and do the little origami thing and then stuff it under so it's just perfect, right? But here's the problem. Wobbling tables in the spot where they wobble don't always wobble in other spots in the room. Do you understand what I'm saying? Weebles wobble all the time, but tables don't, okay? Can we get that? So here's what I understood is that oftentimes if you're at a wobbly spot, it may not be the table. It's the floor. That somebody laid tile or somebody poured concrete or somebody did something in that room that the floor is not level. Because a table, as it's designed, as it's intended, when you put it together, you should be able to do everything evenly, and you should be able to squarely just set it down, and it should be able to stand on its own four feet or four legs or whatever and not wobble. But it's irritating to me. And as I've had this knowledge now imparted in me from this manager... I have now issues with people who lay flooring, okay? So if you're a guy who lays flooring, I, I know it's got to be tough. I know there's got to be a lot of pressure. But I get frustrated. But I realize that the only way to fix it is to fix the floor. It's to fix the foundation. You may have to tear something up. may have to rip something out. You may have to break something up. You may have to report. You may have to fix that and do excruciating work to change the foundation. What's that mean for us? More often than not, our lives are like tables. And when things aren't balanced and things aren't stable, we do two things. We either extend ourselves or we compensate, right? We extend the leg or the foot to try and make up for what's missing or we tend to compensate to try and fill in what's lacking. But the truth of the matter is, we need to change our foundation. Do you agree with me? So say this with me. We need to change our foundation. Let's say it again. We need to change our foundation. 
Now, I'm going to tell you that this is hard work. And when I sat down with the guys and they said, hey, I've been glad you've been on your sabbatical. Glad you feel great. We want you to preach this first week. And uh, we're doing this series, The Best Blank Ever, which I knew I was part of the planning team that did this. And they said these words. We want you to come back and preach on the best finances ever. Thank you. Thank you. You mean I get a chance to come and encourage everybody and inspire everybody, and you give me the issue with money. If you're watching Facebook right now, I bet our viewers just dropped in half. People just hit click, jumped off. I'm not listening to this message, but let me challenge you with this. Hear this out. I'm not going to challenge you with tithing. I'm not going to ask you to give more money to the church. Here's what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to ask you to look at your foundation. I'm just going to ask you to look at your foundation. And let the book of Proverbs begin to wash over you in such a way that you begin to evaluate things through this lens of God centered in the middle of everything. What does it look like to lay my life? What does it look like to lay my legacy? What does it look like to lay my friendships? What does it look like to lay even my finances at the feet of God and say, okay, God, have your way in me. That's what we want to do. And if you've been with us on this journey, you've been having this experience where maybe every day you've read a chapter. And as you've read this chapter, based on the day that you're in, there were different verses that popped out. Some that were encouraging, some that were somewhat confrontational, some that were great bits of wisdom that you paused and went, man, that's so true. And when you read the book of Proverbs, you'll find there is a couple of verses about finances. And we started this conversation that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And we talked about fear, not in a frightened sense, but in an honoring sense. That if we say God is God, and he's God over our life, then we would have the honor and the respect to lay our lives before him. What our mind conceives, what our heart perceives, what our hands can achieve, we would pause before God and say, God, what do you want from me? So, hey, welcome back. Glad you're here. Glad you risked the ice, but we're going to talk about finances today. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your program, maybe grab a pen, or maybe just put your seatbelt on so you don't get up and leave halfway through. But let's just walk through this for a moment, because here's the challenge. Here's what we're asking you to begin to think about doing, and it's this, to invest spiritual wisdom in money manners. Invest spiritual wisdom in money matters. Now, like I said, this is my promise. My goal is for this to be foundational. It's not to get more money from you. It's, it's to get you to surrender your life, including your finances to, goal, to God. It's not my, my goal to guilt you into tithing. My goal is to help give you the gift that comes in freedom when you surrender your finances before God. And my goal is to help you realize that we can apply godly wisdom to even as something as specific as finances and find riches in life that are well beyond a dollar amount. So we want to look at this first verse this morning. We want to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. And this is kind of our, our push-off point. This is kind of where we're beginning today, okay? Proverbs 3, verse 9 says this, Honor the Lord. And I want you to underline those three words. Honor the Lord. Because that, that's the premise of all of this, Okay? It's not to increase your 401k. <laughs> it's not to have more money for the things. It's, how do we honor God here? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats 
will brim over with new wine. Proverbs is calling us to honor God with our wealth, our, our first fruits. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge that Solomon is trying to say, the first of what you have, all that you have and all that you are is, of course, God's. But the first of what you have, start there with saying, okay, God, here's what I have. What should I, how would I use it if you are a part of this process? But this call is a little bit of a different challenge. It's almost like an if-then statement, isn't it? If you will honor God first, if first and foremost, when it comes from your crops, the things that you own, the things you, if you first honor God, there's this principle that you will be blessed well beyond what you have. Now, before we get real crazy in this conversation, this is not an opportunity for us just to pause and say, okay, so if I apply this, Danny, do I get a better car? Do I get a better house? That's not what God is specifically trying to promise for everyone. Because many of us know that when we begin to honor God with our wealth, some of our wealthy goals go to the wayside, don't they? We begin to see things that value differently. We begin to understand the impact and our role within this world differently. But when we honor God with our wealth, we manage it better. We become good stewards, if you will, of all that we have and all that we heart. Now, now, if we were to write this passage for our own benefit, I think it would read like this. First Opinions 3.9, okay? First, your opinion, first Opinions 3.9, okay? Honor yourself with your wealth and first fruits, and then you will get the best of life and have as much comfort for you as possible. That's how most of us want to live our life, right? We want more comfort. But can I say this? Disclaimer. This is not actual scripture, okay? Do not live by this principle. Why? Because money is fleeting. Things change. And the only thing that really lasts for eternity is our relationship with God. So can I, can I start you with a little secret before we jump into a few more passages? Here's what I want you to understand out of today. That a life of generosity is, about, is more about who you are than what you have. A life of generosity is more about who you are than what you have. It's important for us to say that because I think many of us just in this moment want to say, well, if I just had more, if I just had this job, if I just had, then I could be able to. It's a matter of character first and foremost. So what does Proverbs, what does Proverbs say it looks like to honor God through our resources? I think first and foremost, it does look like working hard and, pl and planning well with our lives. Let me read some scriptures for you and just let them wash over you as you hear them. Write down these passages. Here's one for you to look at. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4 says this. Lazy hands makes poverty, but diligent, diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 13.11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. I love this illustration that's in our Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 6, when it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander. No overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer. It gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, 
and scarcity like an armed man. What an interesting illustration. That an ant is a self-starter, self-disciplined. It doesn't have to be told why or what. It desires to plan and provide. And we begin to realize that as we think about these challenges between laziness and self-diligence, that this is true. That good stewards live intentionally. Good stewards live intentionally. It's no accident to the fact that generosity happens because we are hardworking. We are intentional with our plans and we are a self-starter. If you want to be a good steward and you want to leverage your finances, your wealth, you must learn how to work hard and to plan well. Hard work and planning well ultimately honors God. You are saying with all that you have and all that you are, this is God, so I want to handle it well. Second of all, I think it looks like caring for those in need. Proverbs 14 verse 31 says this, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. You might want to underline that word, right? Maker, it's capitalized. What's that mean? It's God that we're talking about, right? The second half says, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And that's a, that's a tough statement. But all throughout Proverbs, if you've been reading it, you've been hearing these challenges about honoring people when you have it, being able to give people their due. And those of us who have something, even a little wealth or a lot of wealth, we cannot use it to oppress or take advantage of those around us. I love uh, over this last series of Grinch, Daniel shared for us a definition of generosity. And it was this. Generosity is the surrender of our time, our talent, and our treasure before God and for the sake of the world. That we want you to know as a church that your money is not yours it's God's. And it's not solely for our comfort, but it's to bless the world. And when we begin to realize that, we begin to realize that good stewards are good to people. They see beyond themselves. They begin to understand that all that they are and all that they have is not just simply here to meet our needs or our comfort, but it's commissioning us to bless those around us, to hurt, help those who are hurting in need, to care for one another, to live a life of love and sacrifice that points back to the character of God. But honoring God also looks like keeping a perspective like God's. Proverbs 16, 8 says this, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Meaning better to handle it in a godly way than to get rich in a crooked way. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Some of us need to hear that today, don't we? Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And some of us remember the recession just a few years ago, right? Do you remember how it grabbed us? Some of us lost houses, jobs, vehicles, 
Some of us had to walk through conversations in our relationships. And it was a frightening time. And the truth of the matter is, we'll probably see a recession again in our lifetime. And most statistics, I mean, all you have to do is hear Dave Ramsey talk. Most of us aren't even prepared to take a crisis of $1,000 today. $1,000. So we need to begin to figure this out. Because when we realize that all that we have and all that we are is from God, we begin to realize that we also need to plan well and trust that God is at work within us. It reminds us that good stewards ultimately reflect God's character. Ultimately, your perspective is that God should be and is the center of our lives. That perspective should shape every portion of our lives, but specifically in our finances today. Maybe, maybe you've already begun to experience this. Maybe you've chosen to sacrifice a little bit of entertainment or recreation with friends so that you could do more for your kids, right? Maybe you chose not to upgrade your cell phone or buy a different vehicle because you were walking alongside people at work that were hurting. You saw family members that were in need. So you began to adjust your comfort so that others could benefit. You could help lend a shoulder to someone in need. And that looks like Jesus. That helps us recognize that all that we have and all that we are, we should be in a posture to not only manage what we have, but to be prepared to leverage what we have for the sake of those around us. You know, Jesus talked about foundations. Do you remember this? And Jesus talked about there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who hear his words and then they put them into practice. And there are those who hear his words and do what they want to do. He says it's really interesting because these two builders, they go out to build their house and one builds on this bedrock while other builds on sand. He describes the one who builds on a bedrock. He says, this is a wise builder. They do the hard work. They apply the word that they hear. They live out what they know to be true in God. But the foolish builder, they, they build on the sand and they're like a foolish builder who hears what is true, understands what is right, and doesn't put into plan what God has helped teach them. And then, of course, he tells this story that rains come, winds blow, and the waters begin to rise. And one house stands firm, and the other house goes splat, right? Isn't that what the kid's song says? And Jesus is trying to say this, people. We spend so much time trying to make sure the outward appearance of our life looks good, doesn't it? A bigger house, evenly watered grass, our curbside appeal is always great. But if you don't build the foundation, you'll fall when life gets tough. And friends, storms happen. Don't they? It's not if storms will happen. It's storms happen. Let me say it this way. How we, how we handle our finances determines what kind of builder we really are. So how do we go back? 
How do we go back to this idea of the wobbling table, right? How do we fix this wobbling experience out of our life? And I just want to give you some quick application out of that illustration to begin to have you think and process about maybe some changes to your foundation that you need to make. Now understand this. Everything I'm sharing with you has been a battle that my family, my birth family, and my married family, what, who, my family now, my immediate family now, have had to battle through this. I grew up in a home that did not do this well. I've told most of you, I've grown up poor. Almost every, every piece of my clothing had somebody else's name written in the back of it. You know, I, I, I've, I've confessed that I've eaten government food, you know, and I know what government cheese tastes like, and I have the body to prove the evidence. And so I, you understand, I have walked this journey. Multi-generational poverty is some of the hardest habits to break. But here's what we've learned. First and foremost, stop compensating. Stop folding everything up in your life so it just fits enough to prop you up in a way that you look better than what you are. We are who we are, right? And we have to deal with that. We have to recognize the weaknesses, the flaws, the things that we have. And so we have to learn how to earn money the right way, to, to be a hard worker. We need to learn not only how to work hard, but how to leverage our finances in a way that we can do more than just add stuff to self. I struggled with this when I was a kid. I used to think if I just made a little more money, if I just had a little more in my pocket, then I could have more that I, that I wanted. And I, and I realized this now, that until your hope and satisfaction is found in God, you'll never be satisfied. God is our hope, not the lottery. Can I say that? Just because you have an extra $20 in your pocket or an extra $2,000 in your pocket, doesn't mean that you're wealthy. It means you have money. Wealthy are people who surrender before God and are able to take all that they are and all that they have, honor God and each other, and take care of their needs. Second thing I want to challenge us all to is stop extending. Stop extending. Debt makes a terrible master. And I bet if you went to your mailbox, like I'd go to my mailbox, you'd probably get two or three credit card requests a week, right? I mean, it's not hard to fill them out. It's not hard to get money. It's not hard to get debt. But we have to begin to realize that debt is not our friend. Dave Ramsey says we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't like. We begin to realize that if we don't mind our money, our money will mind us, won't it? So let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Stop compensating. Stop extending. Because Jesus said it this way. You cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. And that's why right now in this room and online, people are feeling one of two feelings most likely. There could be three. We could be neutral in this, so I'll throw that out there. But some of you are hearing a message about finances and going, that's true. I had to make that change. God is being honored. And some of you are going, I wish this message was over. You can't serve two masters. And those who learn how to leverage their lives before God and finances don't have issues with talking about finances. And those of us who don't master our finances before God, it irritates us. It's like nails on a chalkboard, right? Let that be an alarm to your spirit. But ultimately, here's what we have to do. 
change our foundation. We have to begin to make appropriate plans. Some of you, I want to encourage you today, while you're watching the playoffs or whatever you're doing, just grab a piece of paper and get all your bills together. And write down every bill that you have. Do it. And I want you to do another thing. I want you to begin to build a budget. You take what comes in and what needs to go out. Here's the challenge. There's a lot of us who wish we had more money and want to do more, but we've never stopped to even do a budget. We don't know the situation of our finances. And so let me encourage you with this. If you've never done a budget before, grab your connection card right now. And if you want a tool, we have a budget tool that we can email you that I've gotten from some pastoral friends of mine that will walk you through putting in all your debt, all your bills, all your finances, and can help give you a trajectory of what it looks like to begin to steward that. But can I say this about debt and about a financial plan? It takes a backhoe to dig out a hole to dig out a hole of debt, it takes a teaspoon at a time to fill it back up. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can get into debt like this, but it will take you years to get out of it. And so we have to be focused. We have to be committed. I want to encourage some of you, uh, maybe even to join us for our FPU class. We are going to be hosting FPU on our Champaign location starting January 27th at 1045 a.m. in the fellowship hall. And I will tell you, this is one of the tools that helped me and my wife begin to get our finances mastered. Here's what I want you to understand. Is that a disciplined life of finances allows us to respond in generosity. I got to go back. I didn't tell you how to sign up for FPU. You can put financial peace on your connection card or go to our website, fcc-online forward slash FPU. So let me... Let me have some real talk for a few moments. Let me talk about how finances has impacted me. I mean, it doesn't do any good to challenge us to kind of squarely tee this off without giving real-time experience. So let me give you two examples of when I've had to make the toughest decisions of my life financially and how it shaped us. Now, Christy and I, over 10 years ago, decided we were going to go plant an inner-city church in Tampa, Florida, right in the urban corridor, right off of Martin Luther King and Interstate 275. We had the privilege to go there, and we felt God calling us there, but we knew it was going to be an uphill climb. We had started years before. Christy had read uh, uh, Dave Ramsey's Extreme Money Makeover, and we began to talk about getting debt-free and how to manage our finances. And, and I, I'll tell you this. This is one of the things that I think we had an advantage on. From the word go, Christy and I had decided that we would always honor God with our finances, and so we chose to tithe through the local church out of the gate in our marriage. And we chose that any ministry or anything else that we wanted to be connected to, we would sacrifice to help those who were maybe on the mission field or taking specific trips or the neighbor next door that was hurting. So I have a pretty stellar wife, okay? I'm just going to say that up front. But we, all, we didn't always have a lot. We moved to the inner city and we bank all of our life on the fact that God's going to provide for us. We jump into this moment. It's all, it's all rainbows and unicorns. We get down to Tampa. The sun is out. I can go to the beach any day that I want. And life hits. Hits 2006. The recession blows up Florida. People's houses drop to half the value of what they had bought it for. People were leaving jobs left and right. Studies have been done that Tampa, Florida in 2007 was the second most financially distressed city behind Detroit, Michigan. 
But the sun was out every day. And so we went about work and went about life thinking, okay, let's do what we need to do. But then my, my, wife's, my wife's mom got cancer. And I live in Florida, and they live in southern Illinois. Men, there is nothing more difficult than looking at your family and looking at your wife's family and knowing that crisis is going to hit somewhere, most likely everywhere. And so Christy and I sat down because I wanted her to go see her mom as often as she could, and I already felt bad that we moved to Tampa. I have ourselves 16 hours away from her parents. And so she says, here's what we're going to do. We prayed about this. We sold a car. I had a junior hire, I had an elementary student, and a toddler, and we went to one car. And they did extracurricular activities. And they went to school. My wife got a job, a job that could be flexible, so she went and got a job at Best Buy to work for Geek Squad. Now, you know my wife, and you know Geek Squad. She's a wonderful person, but she has other dreams and abilities. But she knew she needed a place where she could work part-time, where she could take off long lengths of time. And so we committed there. The problem was the closest Best Buy to my house was 45 minutes from my house. And that's not during rush hour in Tampa. It was an hour and a half one way. So we have one car, a long commute for her work, And I got three kids, all that want to do stuff with their life, you know, go out and see their friends, go to, go to local events, be a part of stuff. And we decided, no, we're just going to do without. And can I tell you something? We were able to honor God. We were able to fly my wife home almost every other month, almost every six weeks to see her mom for two years. My kids were in extracurricular activities. Nobody lost any weight. We all ate. We had to cut out cable before there was Hulu and Netflix. And we were better for it. And every day I look my father-in-law in in the eye, there was a, a look of respect because I honored her. I respected them. And God was at the center of what we were going to do. And it has been transformational to our lives. It has. Let me give you the second time that we went through the hardest time in our finances. It was the fall of 2017, and many of you were a part of this, right? The fall of 2017, a former staff member returns to the community and is going to plant a church. Many of our friends decide that they want to go and be a part of that new church. And we were right in the middle of trying to launch a location into Urbana because we said that the, the priority of our church was learn to disciple, make disciples and make disciples to multiply what's going on in our lives. Put new locations in our neighborhoods to reach more people. So we had to prioritize that. But what did that specifically mean for us? Now, I'm going to speak more transparently in front of you than you're probably used to. And I want you to hear this. Our elders have prayed about this conversation. Our staff have prayed about this conversation. But you need to understand what God has done in our midst, okay? So let me say this. In the fall of 2017, over 30% of our congregation went to go join a new congregation. 35% of our giving was gone. We had too much staff, too many bills to continue to do the ministry our same way. 
and we were just trying to give birth to our first location. And we couldn't be more proud of Urbana. We couldn't be more proud of what God has done in the midst of that location. We could not be more proud about the work that God has done in shaping our church. But here's what happened. Many of you were a part of this, this, uh, this gathering we had about vision, remember? We decided to transition four of our staff off of our team. We decided not to provide Christmas bonuses in 2017. We asked four people on our staff who stayed on our staff to take financial cuts that totaled $30,000. We did not give raises to any staff in 2017, and we cut our budget back by over 30%. Now, 2018, we lived out this reality, and it's been, it's been bumpy at times. It's been confusing at times, and we continued to have to adjust our budgeted needs on the fly. We had to pull back different expenses. And by and large, we were able to do all the ministry that we wanted to do and accomplish all of the things that we wanted to do for our budgeted year of 2018. A couple things we couldn't do. We could not. We could not honor all of our missions commitment through our missions budget through the year. And so we put two ministries on hold. Go Ministries and Stadia, both who are part of our Christmas party, right? And our Christmas offering we finished those commitments because of your generosity and God's work. We also didn't provide Christmas bonuses last year. However, since the first time in 2016, our staff got cost of living raises. 2018 was a year of faith for us. And as of September, we were projecting a deficit to end the year at $150,000 in debt. After a Christmas offering, after putting back money to pay back part of our deficit, we finished this year with $20,000 to the excess. Yeah. $20,000 to the excess. Now that's pennies to the church that we are. But when you look at what God did in our midst, to pull back where some of you stepped up and in February you made commitments to follow out this last year. Some of you decided to jump in and give for the first time consistently. Uh, some of you decided to join the Give app, whatever it may be. We have a budget that is tighter than ever, but a clearer vision than we've ever had. We've navigated difficult waters, and yet in 2018, we saw so many lives changed, baptisms galore. We launched more groups than we had ever launched in the history of our church at one time. We saw God work in us and through us with less to do more. We saw God provide when we didn't think we had anything, and we had everything. Because of the elders of this church, the leaders that took big steps and the people of this church who put God at the center of their lives, God did immeasurably more than we could ever hope, ask, or imagine. And so to you, for a guy who stepped out at the end of the year not knowing how things would finish, can I say thank you? Thank you for trusting God and our church. Thank you to those who were here well before me who when we had excess as a church, paid down debt, put money off to the sides, began to plan for our rainy day. 
Can I say thank you to those of you who for the first time said, I'm going to trust God. And I don't know how much, it, how much it's going to be, but I'm going to begin to make a decision. I'm going to walk through the process and I'm going to trust God. But more than anything else, from our eldership, from our staff, and from the leadership of this church, can we say thank you. Thank you for walking with God and with us, trusting God over these last several months. We could not have done this without you. May God be glorified. May God get the credit. And thank God for leading us through a time where we needed to grow more than ever. Okay. Enough of bearing my soul. Let's move on to a time of response, okay? Now we want to be the kind of people that are like Jesus, right? We want to be able to trust God with all that we have and all that we are. And so I'm reminded of this verse that describes the very character of Jesus. John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I think about that. What did Jesus give? His life. All that he has and all that he is for the sake of pointing to the generosity of God who has given us all that we have and all that we are. Jesus is our payment for our sin. Jesus is our payment for our death. And through his death on the cross, it declares that the generosity of God made a way to meet us in our needs, to lead us to a, a life that we don't deserve. An eternity of forgiveness, a revolution of love, an opportunity to lay our lives down so that the world might know God. So let me just ask you today. Are you a wobbler? Have you been compensating? Extending yourself? What if today we did the hard work of setting a new foundation. And that new foundation is understanding that Christ is all we need. He's our strength. He's our sustenance. And everything that we receive out of this life and out of this world is for his glory and for the world's sake. And we are a conduit, stewards, the money of our wallet, the time of our life, and the talents that we hold. So let's pray. And if you need to do some foundational work today, may God begin to tear it up right now. Let's pray. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would begin to irrigate our soil of our heart, tear it up, mill through it, do everything that you need to, to break up the callousness of our lives. God, right now, if there was a, there's a man or a woman that is gritting their teeth, God, would you calm their heart? Would you let them know that a life in you is so much better than a life only found in money? God, if there are those of us that are feeling guilt and shame, God, would we embrace the conviction of our hearts, but would we not let the enemy shove our face down? Would we, would we look to you to be our hope? 
God, if we are standing today with regretful hearts, God, would we we stop? Would we cast all of our anxieties on you and just say, God, today is a new day. Change me. May we be generous like Christ. And may we grow in his likeness. It's in, his, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. You know that we take this time to uh, begin to move around the room. We have opportunities to come to the front to pray. And there will be some of you that will come pray. Maybe prayer of thanksgiving. Maybe prayer uh, of repentance. Maybe just a prayer of God, work in me. I'm confused. Clear my mind. Change my heart. Whatever it may be. But we invite this time for you to come. We also provide opportunity for you to come uh, to go to the tables where there is bread and there is juice. And you will eat the bread and drink the juice and be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus being our payment for sin and death. And as you eat the bread and you drink the juice, would you put the cup and the container in the middle? And some of us will respond today through the connection cards. Maybe we need that budget sheet. Maybe we need to be a part of FPU. Maybe you're going to ask us to pray with you, meet with you, help you through this time. And several of us will be faithful through our finances and giving back to God. Trusting that our foundation is not about ourselves or our performance, but that in the life that God's given us, we have a chance to give back. And in those moments, what God does through all of us is a miracle. That the math that we do and the plans that we have, that when people are open to what God might do, he does immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Let's respond. Let's sing. And when you're comfortable, begin to move to the stations where you want to respond.